Tonight's reading is, uh, can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, um, through to chapter 2, verse 4. And this can be found in the Blue Church Bibles on page 3. So Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that, the be that bear fruit and seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. <coughs> then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all its vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. This evening, we're embarking on a grand tour of the whole Bible. Uh, We're going to, through out the year, actually, through morning and evening services, we're going to visit 80 different landmarks uh, throughout the Bible. Um, We're going to be explorers, discovering new ground that we've never set foot on before. We're going to be tourists, marveling at well-known sites that we've always wanted to visit. And we're going to be pilgrims, because this journey is ultimately about worship. From Genesis to Revelation, we want to be gripped and grasp uh, this greatest story. Uh, Everything God wants us to know about everything that matters. This is going to be the whole Bible in a year, um, which makes me shudder a bit. It's it's great. And here's where we start, perhaps not surprisingly, in the beginning. Our whole society is built on these first few words in Genesis. Without it, our legal system wouldn't exist. Our concept of human rights would be ludicrous without it. Feminism wouldn't have any basis without Genesis 1, and slavery wouldn't have been abolished. In this chapter, God reveals foundational truths about everything. Um, Once a building's foundations are laid, the rest of the building should be constructed on top of those foundations. Extensions and revisions that are laid elsewhere are eventually going to crumble or subside. In the same way, today as we read about how everything begins, we also learn about how everything must continue. The aim is to build our day-to-day reality on these foundational truths. I'm a bit hesitant to try and sum up such great words in just a few sentences. The nuances and implications of this chapter really are limitless 
And yet, for the sake of simplicity, let's consider three foundational truths about everything. Let's put the first one up there. Everything begins with God. Right from the outset of this greatest story, we see that this is most fundamentally a book about God. In the beginning, God. This book is for us, but it is fundamentally about God. This book is going to teach us about ourselves, yes. It will inspire us, it will mold us, it will save us if we listen. But the primary aim here is the glory of God This is a book about knowing him. And the first aspect of his character that we're invited to know about is his majestic power. There are lots of different names for God that are used throughout the Bible. We start here with, in the beginning, Elohim. Elohim. We might translate that name, the mighty one or the powerful one. And rather interestingly, this name is plural. That's not a direct reference to the Trinity, although it does fit well. Um, One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this certainly isn't because there are multiple gods. We don't translate it, in the beginning, gods created. Rather, the name is plural as a way of communicating God's majesty. He is the mighty, mighty, mighty one. He's the powerful, powerful, powerful one. He completely transcends all other realities. He is above everything else that exists. Unlike anything else that exists, he has no beginning. He has no limitations. He has no rivals. And verse 1 goes on to tell us that this mighty one, this mighty God, created the heavens and the earth. And that's a summary statement for everything that's going to follow all the way through to chapter 2, verse 4. Saying the heavens and the earth means he created everything that exists. Everything that has been made was made by God, and nothing that was made was made by anyone else. When Israel first read Genesis 1, they were surrounded by nations that had their own ideas of creation, of course. They had myths about battles between rival gods resulting in the universe. They had tales of deities connected to the sun, the moon, the stars, great sea creatures. But according to God's word here, everything starts with him alone. The mighty God who is without rival and creates everything. Now, sure, um, we make art, we make buildings, we make virtual realities, but all of that is just using the building blocks that God has first provided, the building blocks that he made out of nothing. We're just being creative with what God created in the first place. Have you ever sat down at a blank sheet of paper and just had a complete mind blank because you don't have any inspiration about where to start. Be thankful that you didn't have to create the whole universe out of nothing. This is where the Bible begins because this is where everything begins. Everything, everything begins with God. And are you building your day-to-day reality on that foundational truth? 
The second foundational truth about everything is that it is ordered. Verse 1, I've already said, summarizes the whole of the creation accounts as God creates everything out of nothing. But if you have a look at verse 2, notice that that verse doesn't start with nothing. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I don't often quote Hebrew, but I think um, the, de- the first descriptions of the earth here sound excellent in the original language. Tohu wabohu. Tohu wabohu. Uh, it means unformed and unfilled. This is a place of disordered chaos. It describes a moment when the earth is already present, but is empty, dark, and wet. Kind of like Coventry. (laughs) And as with Coventry, this is not a place suitable for human life. But in it, God is already at work. The Spirit of... Sorry if you're from Coventry. I picked it at random, I promise. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters because he is preparing the earth to bring forth life. And in the six days that follow, God brings order out of chaos. Yes, he created everything out of nothing, but in these six days, the primary focus is bringing order out of chaos so that the earth would become a place that is suitable for human life. Notice if you kind of look down at the paragraph beginnings, each of the six days begins, and God said, or then God said. I'm skipping forwards to later on in the story, of course, but the significance of God creating through his word is going to become apparent when Jesus appears. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. But that comes later in the story. The order of God's creation is shown as this week progresses in pairs. We've got some pictures up on the screen. In the first three days, God forms three realms of existence, we might call them. Then in the second three days, God fills those realms of existence. He forms, 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 then he fills, fills, fills. And this forming and filling undoes the unformed, unfilled earth of verse 2. It it undoes the tohu wabohu. And you can see it in the screen there. Um, The first pair is day one and day four. So on the first day, God creates light and separates it from the darkness. Now, light can be separated from darkness in a spatial sense. It might be light in this room here, but dark in the room over there. But I think the emphasis here is God separating light from darkness according to time. Um, A time of light and a time of darkness. You can kind of see that in verse 5, where you have the time of light called day, the time of night, uh, time of darkness, night. So we might kind of say that the first realm of existence God creates is time. And then, having formed that realm of light and darkness, or that realm of time, on day four, he fills it. 
starting in verse 14, he puts lights in the sky to separate the day from the night, to mark sacred times, days, and years. He creates the sun for the day, he creates the moon for the night. And don't you just love the casual afterthought of verse 16? He also made the stars. Also. Um, Like, by the way, it's not a big deal, but he also created billions of balls of burning gas scattered light years across the universe, one of which is so vast that five billion suns could fit inside. Also. Then we have a second pair, day two and day five. On the second day, God forms the second realm of existence. He makes the sky and the seas. Uh, If you look at verse 6, you might get a little bit confused by the mention of a a vault separating waters above from waters beneath. Um, But God's merely explaining himself in language that would have been familiar with um, the Israelites who first read it. But to be fair, um, their concept of waters above, waters beneath is not too dissimilar from our kind of clouds full of water vapor and oceans beneath. Then on the fifth day, God fills these skies and seas, the sky with birds, the seas with fish. And if you look at verse 21, you can see the mention of great creatures of the sea. Now, of course, on one level, this just represents the, I was going to say bare fact, but um, that doesn't do justice to it. The, The astonishing fact that God created enormous creatures like blue whales and other large creatures, Um, But on another level, it's interesting that the creation stories of other nations around Israel in the ancient world often included great sea creatures who were kind of rivals to the gods that created. But here there's a great contrast. Like these, these sea creatures are just as dependent on God for their existence as everything else. That's the second pair. And then the final pair is day three and day six. On day three, starting from verse nine, God forms the final place suitable for life, fertile land. God speaks and seas rush apart, revealing dry ground in its place. And if you've ever imagined the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus, this is like that, but a million times greater to Mighty tsunami waves parting in opposite directions until dry ground appears. But of course, dry ground is still not suitable for life, and so God's work on day three isn't done yet. In verse 11, he speaks again, and the bare, dusty ground is suddenly full of color. It turns green, it turns red, it turns orange, it turns pink as grass springs up, trees appear, fruit grows, and flowers bloom. And then on day six, he fills this fertile ground. Verse 24 reads, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. My boy Josiah has just discovered owls. Um, I mean, they were discovered before Josiah found them out. You know what I mean. Um, He gets me to pick him up under his armpits, and he flaps his little wings, and he hoots as we go around the living room. And he just finds these creatures fascinating. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to look at all the creatures God has made through the eyes of a child? Like, God, you really made all these animals, owls and koalas and cows and ducks. I mean, if we look, like if we really look, they, they actually are astonishing. And God made each one. He forms, he forms, he forms, then he fills, fills, fills. And this pattern is there for a purpose. It shows that God's creation isn't chaotic. Some theories of evolution do include God, but in theories of evolution that don't, everything is created by chaos. In theories of evolution that don't include God, death and random chance produce mutations that eventually lead to different forms of life. And many people are building their day-to-day realities on that false foundation that this world is all chaos. That seems like a very unstable foundation on which to build life. I mean, how can you, how can you hope for any consistency? How can you hope for anything? How can you trust anything if it's all chaotic, if there's no order? How can you do society if everything is constantly subject to change and there is no guiding principle behind it? In Genesis, chaos is just the starting point. That's just verse 2. God makes everything in an ordered and good way. I've tried to show this just by focusing on the, the pattern of forming and filling. But there's also God's verdict, not just at the end, but at every stage. Um, God saw that it was good. And there's the repeated mention of separating and putting everything in its right place where it belongs, very ordered. And finally, of course, there's the fact that God chooses to describe his creating activity in a week. Um, That's perhaps the most universal example of order that we know, seven days in a week. Of course, people like to argue about what these days represent. Are they 24 literal hours? Do they represent longer periods of time? To be honest, I'm not sure that God intends for us to conclude either. Um, Of course, uh, in this group, uh, we're very welcome to have different views on this matter. As long as we each agree that what uh, what the Bible says is our ultimate authority, then I respect your view and we're on the same side. Um, But for me, there are quite a few clues that this week is more about order than it is about chronology. Evening and morning coming before the creation of the sun, that would be one clue. And uh, the forming, filling pairs are another clue that it's more about order than it is about progression in time. I understand why we might like this chapter to answer questions we have about science and history. But we should ask whether God intends to answer those questions here. Yes, in our context, sort of the opposing view is that the universe came about through a big bang without any involvement from any sort of God. But when Genesis 1 was written, the opposing views were that the universe came about through chaotic divine rivalries, each God acting out their own purpose, resulting in a confused world full of of chaos. So thinking about that context, I believe the intended message of Genesis 1 is clear. God created in an ordered and good way, 
and his creation, even now, is progressing with an underlying order and goodness. And that is a really solid foundation on which to build our day-to-day realities. When everything seems chaotic, remember that there is a God who is forming what is ordered and good. There is no battle between rival deities in the heavens. There is no debate about how this world will end up. There is order, even when we can't see it. It all starts with God, and he creates a world that is ordered and good. Here's the third uh, foundational truth about everything, if we click on. The highlight is humanity. You might have noticed that we've only reached halfway through day six. So follow with me from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I think I've mentioned in this service before that we should, or I think we should, take much of the climate activists' message seriously. They're right about our responsibility for this planet. But they are very, very wrong about our humanity. It's often said or implied that our species is a blight on planet Earth. But when we take our lead from Genesis 1, we see that humanity is a blessing on planet Earth. We've already considered the many amazing things that God has made, vast stars and great sea creatures and rushing waters. But among all these amazing things, Genesis 1 shows that humanity is the highlight. This chapter shows it in many ways. We'll consider um, three ways very quickly and one in more detail. One, God shows that humanity is the highlight of creation by devoting more time and words to us than anything else. In fact, um, starting with very little detail on day one, each day is described more and more fully. This creates a kind of crescendo effect leading to the creation of humanity. All the previous days have been readying the earth as a place where human life can exist. Second reason why humanity is the highlight of creation. There's a switch in styles. So far in the chapter, the language has been pretty straightforward narrative. But in verse 26 and 27, we suddenly get poetry. It's as if God is so enthusiastic about the creation of men and women that he suddenly bursts into song, or poetry at least. And the third reason God shows that humanity is the highlight with his verdict. In all the five days so far, um, it's ended with God saying, um, it's good. But if you look at verse 31, at the end of day six, after making humanity, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But here's the biggest reason for saying humanity is the highlight of creation. 
It's that we are made in the image and likeness of God himself. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means every human being has value and it means every human being has purpose. Here is Here's a note. How much is it worth? Five pounds. Very good. Um, it's been crumpled up in my wallet for quite some time because nobody uses cash anymore. Uh, let's, um, let's really scrunch it up. And now let's um, try and rip it. I, I can't because it's the plastic ones and that's not possible anymore. Um, and now let's uh, just throw it away and forget about it. If at the end of the service you come up here and pick up that note, that crumpled, ripped, neglected note, how much is it going to be worth? Still five pounds. Why? Because it has the image of the queen on it. As long as it has that image, its worth will never be taken away. And a human being can go through the most terrible times. You can be mistreated and battered and bruised, neglected and ignored. But this is an astonishing truth. You will still be worth immense value because you still bear the image of your creator. Whatever you go through, whatever you do, your creator considers you so, so precious. In fact, so precious that later in the story, he would come to die for you. God has stamped his image on us as a mark that we are uniquely made for a relationship with him. Of all creation, we have a unique personhood and compatibility to know the creator. Being made in the image of God means he has put his very own life in us. This is equally the case between men and women. This is equally the case between kings and slaves. And do you have any idea how revolutionary that idea would have been in the ancient world? It would have been madness. Being made in the image of God means we have incomparable value. And it means we have purpose. In verses 28 to 30, God tells humanity to rule over his creation. And of course, in the past, we've misuse these verses as if it gives us the right to exploit what God has made, but of course that's not the point at all. Here God is telling humanity to be his representatives in the world. He is the ruler and he's telling humanity to rule on his behalf. As his image bearers, we're meant to communicate to the world something of what he is like. We're meant to rule as he would rule, in love and righteousness. Humanity is the highlight of creation because we're made in the image of God that gives us value and purpose. Are you building your day-to-day -day reality on that foundational truth about everything? Practically, this means that whenever we see another human being, whatever our differences, the most important thing about us is the same. Rather than stepping away thinking you're different, we should step towards thinking we're actually really the same. 
and each person we meet is of immense worth to God. This should guard the way we treat one another, and it should make us long for their relationship with the Lord to be restored. These are some weighty foundational truths about everything, aren't they? Everything begins with God, everything is ordered, and humanity is the highlight. Words kind of seem inadequate to express everything that's revealed in this chapter. I think we just need to pray over what it means to keep building in this way. But of course, thankfully, we've got the rest of the Bible, and we've got 79 more landmarks that we can visit. But I can't finish without mentioning a hint from chapter 2 about the direction in which we're heading. Chapter 2, verse 2. But the seventh day, God had, uh, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This seven-day order of creation lays the foundation for everything, but it also suggests forwards how God's plans will unfold. Rest on the seventh day would become part of the law given to God's people. This seven-day week would become one of the most foundational patterns of life that we know. But in many ways, this rest that God enjoyed on the seventh day is still ahead of us. All of creation is still waiting to join its creator in a final blessed rest. But we're going to have to wait a whole year to hear about it. Let's pray. Almighty, powerful God, creator of all things. We worship you as the beginning of everything. Forgive us for treating you as if you were an afterthought on our lives. Just something we think about at the end of the day. Please help us to build our day-to-day -day reality on the foundational truth that everything starts with you. Thank you that this world is good and ordered. Please increase our sense of trust and security, knowing that you are at work in everything, even when we can't see the order that is there. Thank you that you have placed such immeasurable worth on us. Thank you that we are so precious to you. Thank you that we are so precious that you would even die for us. In Jesus' name, amen.